Oh, man, you're in my sweet spot now. Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. Everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson with CinemaSins, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Holla! And from Music Video Sins, Barrett Share. Yellow. And today we're going to we're going to continue the series of best of the years that we've been alive. Mm. And today is 1989. 1989. Yes, yes, yes. Does it get those wonderful toys? Ty Cobb wanted to play. None of us stand a son of a bitch when we were alive so we told him to stick it <laughs> you must chill i have hidden your keys it looks great little full a lot of sap excellent Ooh. 1989 Ooh, it's so good 1989 is a year that's uh, a lot like 82 and 84 it's going to be hard to uh, really come up with a winner on this one i am predicting it today we are going to have multiple rounds in 1989 i think so I don't think this is going to be like one of those where it's like, oh, that's obvious. It's going to be difficult. This year is going to be difficult. Yeah. Um, let's let's uh, what's the first thing that pops out? Batman, probably Batman. Is I've the already first. had one guy on Twitter say if Batman doesn't win the 1989 talk. You guys are dead to me. I'm sorry. He's, <laughs> we're dead to that. We're guy. dead to that guy. Batman is not going to win. There's no fucking way. Batman's winning. <laughs> now, sorry, that was that was the movie of the year. Like, yeah, yeah. At least in the year itself, there mm. was no bigger film. We had not had a Batman movie since the Adam West, Burt Ward, yeah. 60s BS movie. And that was considered dark back then. Yes. Oh, you know, yeah. When you look at it now, it's very cartoony, yeah. but... But it was considered dark, and everybody was like, "Whoa, I've never seen anything like that." They treated superheroes like really seriously. Yeah, the, yeah, you know. And of course, our definition of serious has changed over the years. Yes, um, <laughs> it was a it was a crazy summer. I remember watching Batman, and uh, what was it? Uh, I think uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids came out that same yep. summer. Uh, and there was something that came out. Is it Honey and I Shrunk the Kids came out the same day as Batman or Lethal Weapon Two? One of the other, it doesn't matter which yeah. one it came out. It, that's a huge day. Oh yeah, in, in cinema right there. Um, but uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Since I mentioned it, yeah. <laughs> not a good movie today. I don't think. No. Uh, but it was. Oh, it was the twelve-year-old's fantasy to watch that movie. Oh yeah, you know when Rick Moranis. It, it, May have fallen off the face of the earth after that movie. There was a well, there, there was were a, a run few there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there, there were, were. after the sequels. There after was, he was contractually obligated sequels, <laughs> he left. <laughs> there was a weird run about like between Fantastic Voyage and Inner Space and Honey I Shrunk the Kids about like shrinking things down and then like running around in that environment i guess yeah. ant-man is kind of a similar thing yeah but it's like yeah totally who wouldn't want to be like super small and run through their front yard like it's like 10 miles long or whatever <laughs> who wouldn't um also uh yeah i mentioned lethal weapon too the lethal weapon series that hasn't held up very well either no um i think lethal weapon 2 was the biggest of the franchise i think um uh, but those movies, uh, what is it? Is is it the antiquated cops are the good guys and and are somehow I, we don't we don't like those movies anymore? Or no, I think we do. We I, do? I was actually watching The Heat just recently about like yeah, but a horribly abusive. Yeah, I realize it, it, it's a whole different 
thing, but like the horribly abusive cop that plays by her own rules and does her own thing. And like, yeah. uh, at least in that one, like they don't threaten to take her badge or anything like that. But yeah, I think there's still a market for, for that. I mean, Lethal Weapon took it to a whole different level and it was super shouty, like I mentioned about Richard Donner stuff. Well, like I mean, that. if I were flipping channels, other than Lethal Weapon 4, because they look so different and Jet Li's in it, yeah. I'm not sure if I stumbled on one, I'm not sure I could tell you which one it was for 20 yeah. minutes. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. they all run together for me. Yeah. I enjoy them, but, you know, they're they're very similar to me. They they, they seem very uh, that era to me. Yeah. It, that, they're uniquely that era. The, that, that, whole, that whole comp genre thing is, uh, it, it went by the wayside, of course, once comic books became the big uh action movie go-to but i think if you tried to make a movie like that today i mean like you know cop out or whatever <laughs> you know it's uh it's uh it's mostly trying to be a comedy or it's trying to be a retro type of thing or the the other guys like most of our cop movies these days have, have veered towards funny as opposed to action 21 yeah. jump street yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, another thing that stands out is, God, there's so many. I yeah. Was, yeah. Dead Poet Society mm. came out in 1989. I love Dead Poet Society, but you know what? Just before this podcast, I was, I, I, I seem to recall that Roger Ebert hates this movie. In fact, I think he put it in his book. I hate, 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 hate this movie. <laughs> um, uh, and I was reading his review. Just to eliminate any sort of misunderstanding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I hate I uh I was reading his review and I can't disagree with <laughs> <No>. <laughs> him. He's made he makes so many great points about it about how it's really uh you know by the end of the movie they they have they don't have much of an appreciation for literature. They have more appreciation for the teacher. Yeah. And uh and there's a lot more to it than that, but uh aside from Roger Ebert there, which I I totally agree. I love Dead Poet Society. Oh, I do too. I uh, do too I've seen this movie a million times. Yeah, me too. And I, and I, I can't agree. I mean, I haven't read the review, and he may make a lot of salient points, but I, I'm going to treat that the way a lot of people treat our videos. Like, <laughs> I, I still, I enjoyed your video, but I still like the movie. Mm -hmm. Like, um, yeah, Dead Poet Society very nearly made my top three list. Uh, yeah, that's how much I like it. And I know we mentioned this before in another podcast, but since we're talking Dead Poet Society, uh, if you're listening, you should go watch the recent SNL oh, yeah. digital <laughs> short that spoofs Dead Poet Society. I don't want to say oh, anything that else. Was so perfect. But it's fucking hysterical. Oh, that was so perfect. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, Dead Poet Society is a movie that I, I had on VHS. If I had yeah. it on VHS, then you knew I, I really liked right. it because that was something that I probably wore out. Uh, when I had it, um, and uh, but I I've seen it a million times, and it's just one of those movies. It's just endlessly entertaining. It doesn't matter whether there's what whether what he's doing is noble or not, or um, uh, if it's if it's right or not, or whatever. It's just a good movie. It's well, just fun. You've got that performance from Robin Williams, which is just up there in the stratosphere with anything he's ever done, and it was shades of stuff that he would do in like Goodwill Hunting, yeah. because everybody still at that point probably thought of him as you know the manic comedic actor, yeah. And he was, he, he, there was a lot of that in there, but there was a lot of like pathos and there was a lot of, you know, dramatic chops shown in that, in his performance. It was awesome. Yeah. 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 And remember how, if you had a VHS tape that you wore out, because VHS tapes used to have 
like white lettering of the movie's logo and some credits and whatnot. And, and eventually that would start to wear away mm-hmm. to where yeah. you couldn't even see the full title of the movie anymore. Yeah, right. <laughs> and a VHS tape I did that to was uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Yeah. Oof. Oh, my God. Another, and this was uh, Indiana Jones returning to form after Temple of Doom. Now, yeah. Temple of Doom, I don't even, did we even mention Temple of Doom? No, no. Because <laughs> that, sta- that was such a stacked year yeah, that we didn't even get we didn't to We didn't even get to Temple of Doom in no. 1984, but I'm sure we mentioned some other bullshit movie yeah. ever <laughs> like, um, well, what's at the bottom did, you know? i don't know if we got called out on it i'm sure we did but um but we didn't even mention temple of doom because it was it's that movie isn't nearly as fun as raiders of the lost ark was and then last crusade right. would be later um last crusade great movie oh uh, it's my first introduction to indiana jones i saw last crusade before i saw raiders and temple of doom i always felt like it was treated like um, Return of the Jedi by a lot of Indiana Jones fans. Like, eh, okay. But maybe it's because it's the first one I saw. It's almost a perfect little adventure. There's no scene in that movie where I'm like, ah, I'm going to tune out for a little bit. Yeah. Why is it treated like that? Because it, it's it's got everything from even like the, the opening scene with River Phoenix playing young, young yeah. Indy. Yeah. The addition of Sean Connery, the globe trotting, the love interest that turns badly like everything is is great in this yeah i agree i just think for some fans like like there's no ewoks my friend josh is the biggest indiana jones fan you're ever gonna find and for him raiders is the bible right raider he of course he saw that one first again maybe that plays a part uh but yeah i've always felt like he talked about last crusade almost like lethal weapon four like they're older now let's cash in and make another one and it's it's a lot more harmless uh, I just freaking love it, man. If I'm going to watch one Indiana Jones movie, I only have two hours. It, it's going to be that one. It takes uh, and it has a finale that uh, is reminiscent of the opening of Raiders of the Lost Ark, mm. even though it's not the same type thing. But I, I do like how he has to solve these ancient riddles yeah. to get to uh, to the final goal. And I love also that the final goal, once he gets to that point, isn't an easy thing either like once he gets into that you know grail room or whatever it's not like oh well let's go pick the shiniest grail there is you know yeah yeah. he he actually has to still think and figure this problem out and everything um i yeah last crusade is great and i think I, i mean surely time has been good better to that movie i mean maybe at the beginning of when it came out, people didn't. Indiana Jones fans didn't like it, but surely now it's. I, I well, especially I now that we've seen there. Crystal Skull. Yeah, uh, well. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, another one. Another. Gosh, this was a huge year for sequels. Mm-hmm. Back to the Future Two came oh, out. Man. Yep. And uh, and yeah, I I like Back to the Future Two. I, when we recently send it, I realized how ridiculous this movie is. <laughs> um. Uh, but uh, I remember the the big problem for Back to the Future Two with among you know people my age and everything was that a lot of people couldn't follow the time travel stuff and that I found that fascinating. Yeah, the the whole chalkboard thing and the parallels and all these other different things that Doc Brown puts on the chalkboard. You know, it is sort of just a sort of like callback to the first movie. Let's just do everything we did in the first movie and then move on. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, it's an enjoyable little movie. Except with a new Jennifer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Elizabeth Shue though. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that movie. That's right. I always <laughs> liked that movie more than most. I think because I'm not sure I had seen anything prior to that that showed me a scene I knew from another movie from a different perspective. Yeah, right? that was like, awesome. Like seeing the dance and everything that happened at the end of that first movie from a new 
perspective uh, always blew my mind. Yeah. Um, so I never really, you know, until we started doing this YouTube thing, I never really gave much thought to the time travel in that movie. I was just like, oh, okay, it makes sense. All right, whatever. Um, <clears throat> but I freaking love it. I love it probably more than the third one, um, but was, not as much as the first. That was the first time that I, I realized that they, you know, I don't know, that was the first time that when a a sequel came out and they would redo scenes from the first one. Like that was the first time that I was really, I dealt with that. Like I, yeah. I was so used to what they say in back to the future at the end of that movie. Mm. Cause I had seen it a million times by the time two came out that when they did the redo stuff, I was like, no, it's not right. <laughs> you said that. Yeah. <laughs> this is like in Pulp Fiction. It all, it's always bugged me that Rosanna Arquette says her line differently. Yeah. When we see the diner. Now I think that may just be Tarantino having fun with the way we remember things doing a little Rashomon stuff to us or yeah. something but it's, it always bugs me why can't you say it the same way you did the first time we saw yeah. you god damn it <laughs> yeah yeah um what else guys what else stands out well two kind of romances very different movies and from a different perspective according to age uh huge ones say anything mm. and when harry met sally yeah mm. both, both with of, ellipses at the end of their exactly, title <laughs> exactly and <laughs> but yeah no i mean they're they're so great and starting with when harry met sally like the romantic comedy that people want to hold up as a, as a standard, right? Because it was completely non-conventional because it, the interaction between the two of them really carries an arc. And it's not just an artificial arc of like meet, fall in love, trouble, you know, get it together at the end. It is kind of like that, but there's a series of ups and downs throughout that that we've never seen, including the whole like men and women can't be friends. Right. So that was really, really great. And that was Billy Crystal at the top of his game and Meg Ryan really at the top of her game. Yeah. I think this movie set the stage for Seinfeld. Yeah. If that oh, makes yeah. sense. Oh, yeah. The no. way it looks at relationships uh, was completely new at the time and and gave birth to, I think, Seinfeld and a host of other movies and sitcoms. Right? Well, and speaking of that, um, I mean, first off, this is Rob Reiner again. He's yeah. just on our freaking roll and he's rushing dingers yeah. uh the writer of this was nora efron who would later you know be a director on her own i don't know i don't think she had directed anything by this point but uh you're talking about seinfeld and everything the original ending of when harry met sally was they didn't get together mm. and you know it, it ended up of course being reiner and crystal and all these guys saying well we should really get them get them together at the end and everything <laughs> you know out outvoting yeah. the uh the, the writer but um but uh but yeah that because that's what seinfeld was all sort of you know seinfeld had you know he had a platonic relate even though they dated and all this other type of stuff it, we never really thought we never really wanted jerry and elaine to get together right. in that show right. But yeah, I totally agree with you. There was some sort of precedent being set there. Well, and we talked about Fast Times in a recent podcast, uh -huh. and then Cameron Crowe comes back this year with Say Anything. Yeah. This is his first directing gig, right? I think it is. And the beginning of his love affair with Eric Stoltz. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love Say Anything. Uh, I loved it before I had ever even been in love. Like, yeah. I didn't mm -hmm. understand relationships in love, but that movie, I understood the dynamics and what was going on. Um, and that maybe one of the most iconic images in all of film is him standing outside with that boombox up mm -hmm. in the air. Yep. To the point where even people who haven't seen that movie know what that means. Yeah. yeah and he's uh, playing Peter Gabriel, one of his greatest songs yes, in your eyes. Yeah. Uh, which perfectly encapsulates that moment. The thing about that character, Lloyd Dobler, 
is he is unassailably good. Yeah. Like, I don't think he does anything <laughs> wrong in that movie. No. Uh, including, like, you know, as he's walking her back from prom, like, pushing some broken glass aside. Yeah. And it, it's just, like, little things like that. And even, like, you know, they'll, they'll say, like, why are you so good? Yeah. <laughs> he is completely just head over heels in love with this woman. And it, it just, it plays perfectly because he's that kind of actor that can convey perfect honesty hmm. through through those crazy eyes of his yeah that he can just say like if you're locked in he's you're locked in yeah well it shows uh when all those girls are in the room together and they are like and they're like lloyd dobler and they all just like yeah yeah yeah, yeah, lloyd dobler and uh it sort of encapsulates the whole thing the uh i i there's so many great lines in it too i love the i love the scene where he's just he's talking to john mahoney and he's like trying to tell, he's like, I'm, he's doing all this, like, what is it, judo or Kick whatever? Boxing, Kickboxing. Yeah. Yeah. And everything. So it's like, I, I don't really focus on that right now. I just want to date, date your daughter. <laughs> he says, I don't want to buy anything sold or processed. Yeah. I don't want to process anything sold or bought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just want to hang with your daughter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just love that scene. So I also much. love when, when they, they have a down patch and he's outside the gas station and it goes down the line of, the guys at the gas station giving him advice or reacting to this and then finally at the end it cuts to the last guy and pans down it's this little kid he goes bitches man <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah i mean that i mean say anything and what and harry met sally i mean those are like Th- those are movies that guys wouldn't mind watching yeah, like yeah like, exactly like on date night or exactly, whatever i mean exactly. this is what it comes down to they're 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 equal plain i mean they're not like just all like super like 27 dresses type romantic comedies or whatever yeah well well speaking of that i watched it recently and it's probably something that couples would watch on a date night sex lies and videotape yeah Ooh. yeah and correct me if I'm wrong. This is Steven Soderbergh's first direct. I don't know if it's his first. I don't because I think he did. It put him on the map for sure. Yeah, yeah, it did. One thing that you can say about this movie is that it sort of set the tone for the indie uh, film movement yeah. that came up in the '90s. Yeah. It's, it's sort of the beginning point of it. It is, and but they don't make this movie anymore. Like it. It's an adult movie made by or the focus is on like late 20s, I guess, uh, people that are kind of getting their career started and everything, getting married, settling down, but still have that romantic wanderlust, you know, that that kind of gets revived by, in this case, the James Spader character, who is his Baderist. Yes, yeah. absolutely. This. I mean, he had a run between this and a, another movie called Crash, not the the Crash right. that we know about, Dana, David Cronenberg Crash, and Secretary. Like he had a run <laughs> of these weird kind of sexual, psychosexual type yeah. of dynamics things, and he is outstanding in this. And it's just like a perfectly wrapped up drama uh, about relationships and you know people being people with each other even though the lies is a part of the title but like it's really really cool to watch yeah this is his debut by the way the other ones that he did were either shorts or documentaries or whatever so and you can see the kind of things that he uses you know later on when he's really flexing his like out of sight and you know things like that yeah 89 also the year disney animation comes roaring back oh my god with the little mermaid did it ever um you know i think we mentioned some of the animated movies it put out earlier in the 80s black cauldron and uh, sword in the stone and you know nothing since that classic era had ever really caught on and just a year before this oliver and company came out Mm. like it makes you wonder where the philosophy change 
happened yeah. with Disney animation that they said, you know, they they finally came out with something that everybody wanted to see yeah. instead of just, you know, whatever Oliver and Company it was. It was not only a big hit, but it was such a big hit by default, made the next three animation movies must-see, yeah, right? Because yeah. we had Beauty and the Beast after that, yep. and Lion King, um, and those were must-see event films by that point. That's yeah. how much everybody loved The Little Mermaid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, another one, uh, Oliver Stone uh, is still on a roll here, born on the 4th of July, mm. although it's not one of his best, but it is one of the best cruise performances oh, yeah. that you'll ever see. Um so it, it it definitely worth mentioning on this one, but I don't have much to say about it other than it's good. Was he nominated for this? Yes, I think he was. Yes, he was. Um, um, well, we, it's a good year for dramatic performances, right? So Glory came out in '89. Yes, and that's Denzel. Like, I mean, he's still amazing. He's still one of my top five favorite actors. But in that movie, so young. And that scene where he just cries that oh tear. My oh, my God. It's such a I'm not even saying the movie's like an A plus, but the, the, the acting performances we had Daniel Day Lewis in my left foot. Um, it was just like a year for actors acting. Right. Yeah. You mentioned Robin <laughs> Williams and his performance in Dead Poets Society. It just feels like it was a really top year for individual performances. Well, and Martin Landau in Crimes and Misdemeanors yeah. well, had a terrific performance, too. Um, but yeah, that was Cruz's first nomination. He'd have two more after that. We haven't seen anything else since then. We're talking, if you're talking about glory, it was also a, a pretty good, uh, I don't know if you want to call it pretty good year for race relation movies. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the, really the way I want to say it, but I think you know what I mean. Uh, cause, me. cause glory was not like great race relations. <laughs> And neither was Do the Right Thing oh, that yeah. came out the same year. I thought you were um, going to go Driving Miss Daisy. <laughs> well, and driving I was going to say Driving Miss Daisy after Do the Right Thing, <laughs> but Driving Miss Daisy won Best Picture to the chagrin of everybody who <laughs> studies the Oscars. Uh, it's not a bad movie by any means, but come on. It's not the best movie of 1989. Isn't there something, though, with Jessica Tandy? Like, don't they do this every few years where some older actor gives a performance that feels like maybe their last good one and we yeah. just kind of shower that movie with praise? That's more exactly than we should. what that is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I like that movie, but it's not the best picture. No, it's just insanity. And especially when you look in the face of Do the Right Thing, which yeah, is such right. a dynamic, uh, just balls out one of the one of the best movies that you'll ever see uh this is spike lee's i believe second movie he had done school days just before this uh but uh but oh my god so much stuff and do the right thing uh informs what we do in the 90s mm. uh, later on there's so much work with the camera and just like let's do this try this out and let's try that out and everything um it's one of the most dynamic movies you'll ever see it's also uh in this day and age probably one of the most prescient movies that has mm. uh it may not be prescient to the people who you know to spike lee he probably i mean he knew about all this stuff that we're going through today sure then uh but uh, i think i think for a lot of us we didn't know that this type of stuff went on and um and do the right thing is is as you know relevant today as any movie that has I can he think made of. a movie ever that's better than that 
No, but he has come close a couple yeah. of times. I mean, Malcolm X is really good. I like Malcolm mm. X. And um and uh and then there's a lot of stuff that he never gets quite to do the right thing, but the 25th hour has a lot of that do the right thing type stuff in it. 25th hour is really good. And uh and I even like he got game. That's mm. another one that's uh, Spike Lee is always interesting. Now I've never seen Clockers. I I I I have. Uh I know that yeah, I mean, I didn't hear Shrug. very many great reviews yeah. for it, but I know that the when the book came out, Richard Price and all that, that was a huge book that came out and I don't remember I just didn't see the movie. Girl 6? Yeah, Girl 6. <laughs> yeah, well Spike Lee also comes out with a lot of just like <laughs> experimental stuff too. Not that you know, did you think we were going to talk about Girl 6 when we <laughs> sat down to talk 1989? I did not. Yeah, I we to... somehow went from do the right thing to Girl 6. <laughs> Let's talk about Teresa Randall's performance in Girl 6. Um, um I have to mention Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. which I they they are they're still talking and flirting with the idea of making another one. Yeah. Um and I, it's just one of the funnest stupid movies that knows it's stupid. It really is. And, and you know, we were joking, cracking uh, lines from Dude, Where's My Car earlier? Yeah. Same kind of thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Stupid ass movie, but it, it knew it was stupid. And so Bill and Ted's was on repeat for most of my friends and I for a good two or three years there. Yeah. Um, it's funny that you mentioned, dude, where's my car? That's exactly what I was going to come up with. It, it, it's, it's sort of, you can see the DNA in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, all right, look, this is, this is going to be an insane adventure. <laughs> We're going to just do what we want to. Okay. And you just, you know, if you came in, it's your fault. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you want to talk about movies, uh, you know, playing fast and loose with time travel. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this right. one makes uh, Back to the Future 2 look like something written by Einstein. What's oh, crazy yeah. is that they they use the char- main characters as just a blank canvas for all this shit to happen to sure. because they are so stupid yeah. that, like, anything that happens, they're just going to go along with it. And they're like, all right, so crates. Come on, man, <laughs> step in. Yeah. Beethoven. Hey. <laughs> um, uh, also on the comedy front, I don't know what you guys think of the Burbs, but I love the Burbs. I, I fucking like love the Burbs. Oh my god, uh, the Burbs is is a movie that's super underrated. Like, oh it, yeah, this was Hanks like right after Big, and I think a lot of people sort of expected something else out of this. <laughs> uh, but man, I love the Burbs so oh, much. Yeah. That's a perfect comedy horror movie. Uh, you know playing in on the paranoia or is it of the neighbors when these this new family comes into the in the town and and uh and of course a lot of people i remember my age used to do the Corey feldman thing like the pizza dude you know and all that pizza dude's here, pizza dude's here. we're gonna call the pizza dude <laughs> well um i i was gonna say something but now you just made me wonder in the teenage mutant ninja turtles movie are they playing on the burbs when he says pizza dude's got 30 seconds? Oh, I don't know. Because I, I didn't realize it, Corey Feldman was in the burbs. I, I forgot feel that. like that's just sort of a, I feel like that's a subconscious type of Maybe. thing. I don't think they're, yeah, I don't think they're really going for that, but, but I, I, I think that's probably, you know, at least a subconscious reference. Well, uh, Tom Hanks was actually in two perfect comic horror movies that year because he also did Turner and Hoot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely and who can forget yeah <laughs> i mean i've finally ended the age of 
big, huge star with an animal movie. Like, because, you know, Matt LeBlanc did Ed with the monkey. Jason Alexander did a monkey movie. Clint Eastwood did a monkey movie. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have done dog movies. Uh, you know, the dog is basically one of the stars of Turner and Hooch. But, but we don't have that anymore, right? I'm, no. I'm asking hopefully. I right? mean, if we do, it's probably straight to video type stuff. Or- I did see a preview for somebody gets turned into a cat and i think it's kevin spacey some movie yeah yeah christopher walken and kevin spacey i don't know about that yeah yeah all right well what else about 89 um field of dreams oh man you're in my sweet spot now uh of course i i'm i'm a huge field of dreams person a big baseball fan and just the idea of making your own baseball field yeah you have enough land to make a baseball field and not only that like it's down to the like the lights in the outfield mm-hmm. and all this other time of stuff that was a huge thing for me back in 1989 oh yeah oh, and yeah. just the the mysticism of it and everything hearing the whispers and and going to get in going to find james earl jones and all that who yeah. i guess is playing a thinly veiled jd salinger yeah I love that movie so much. I do too, and and I think one of the reasons uh, is is so many men have dad issues. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, even if you don't have like the kind of dad issues he has in this movie, we we all struggle at some point in our lives to really relate to and understand our fathers, and this movie taps into that in a hugely powerful way. I think. Um, but yeah, it's a combination of the 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 mysticism and the magic. The baseball and then the, the themes underneath. I was watching this movie two days ago. Every time I see it on one of the movie channels, I stop and watch for a little bit. I can't I can't help myself. Yeah. And and, uh, I, you know, such like powerful moments too. just the fact that they they go and find that one guy who had was it one at bat or yeah. whatever. And, and he comes and plays and then somebody uh, has a heart attack or whatever. The daughter chokes on a hot dog. Yeah, yeah. that's what happens. And uh, and uh, he come he's he crosses the line. He can't play yep. anymore. And he's like, all right, well, this is what I was really born to do. Was yeah. Be a yeah. And he did still get to have his at bat and wink at the pitcher. I mean, it, granted, it was in the ghost Iowa baseball field. But uh, yeah, his story has such great closure there. Um, that's a fantastic movie. I can't really think of anything bad to say about it. Yeah. Um, what else, guys? Well, I'm running out of I have two lists here. I have notables and then notables, but not good. <laughs> yeah yep and i'm pretty much down to my notables but not good like kickboxer came out this year. right yeah roadhouse came out this year yep. um which at roadhouse you know maybe i am on an island but i have never understood people's love for this movie it is <laughs> it is pure patrick swayze nostalgia okay that is what it is okay. i mean back in 1989 i think you had to be a certain age to enjoy that movie first yeah. and then uh the the sort of endurance of it it's such a cheesy movie that's the other thing when you get into this era where people love to like just enjoy things ironically and stuff like that that is that perfect you know movie to do that to okay because i've Um, never i've never liked it it is not a good movie okay no it's not a good movie by any means at all uh the a couple of other ones that uh i thought of well we've talked about major league it did come out in 1989 yeah. mm-hmm. uh, uh it's a fun baseball movie yeah uh we've talked about its ridiculousness yes we have <laughs> uh and, and you know it but it's it's still fun it's a fun movie so not much else to say about it um, there is one more good movie that we uh, just brushed on for a second but crimes and misdemeanors from woody allen yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's i would say generally considered in his top three maybe 
between Manhattan, Annie Hall, and Crimes and Misdemeanors? It might be, actually. Yeah. yeah. It's certainly one of the best he's made in the last 25 years. With, you know, Match Point is one that they yep. that is frequently cited, but Crimes and Misdemeanors is probably one of his best. Yeah, and it's, it's a, a kind of a psychological crime thriller almost as much of a as a woody allen movie could be yeah it's still got kind of those aspects and the the uh, the dialogue and his performances and everything you know between martin landa who i think won the academy award for this right no or no he, was, he didn't win he did get nom- i think he got, he got nominated. nominated yeah because he, he didn't win until ed wood ed came. wood yeah and jerry orbach and angelica houston like just like a terrific cast and everybody was just in sync and it was kind of a different uh genre that that uh, that he really is kind of perfected at this point so uh yeah he it, it's it's a terrific movie you should definitely check it out yeah landau got nominated and alan got nominated for writing and directing he almost always gets nominated for his writing and he never shows up and he never shows up except for like 2002 when they did the special 9-11 oh thing. yeah, yeah that was yeah, the only yeah. only time he ever did it yeah um uh the the other ones uh we didn't mention ghostbusters too yep uh i mean yeah exactly jeremy shrugging i am shrugging as well this is the first time by the way this is important to me because this is the first time i walked into a theater and came out at the age of 12 and was truly disappointed about a movie Mm. this was the first time i remember (laughs) being disappointed about a movie and i remember going to play like a, a baseball game that night or something like that and telling all my teammates like yeah I didn't like it, man. Yeah. I don't understand what's going through me <laughs> right now. It's like, you know, I'm 12. I shouldn't feel these things. You know, um, you have taste now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. it, went, it went off the rails. I mean, it really did. I mean, they just kind of pushed it way too far. I mean, the performances are still fun. Uh, the uh, the Peter McNichol uh, yeah. lines are, are great. And Aykroyd and Murray and, and uh, Ramis are still having fun. But like. The whole pink ooze thing is just a little overdone, and yeah, I mean, it's just it, it it's sequelitis, basically. But it's gotten this weird, like, uh, sort of cult following since. Yeah. And if this new Ghostbusters with all the women is somehow fails or whatever, and we're going to somehow uh you know make a statement based on that or whatever please look at ghostbusters yeah. 2 and look <laughs> that it doesn't have anything to do with women at all sometimes it has to do with the screenplay yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know sometimes and not yeah. all but yeah. um what else on here there was just some mentions uh uncle buck john hughes is uncle bucks is a, pr- a pretty good movie but it's john hughes sort of getting tired of directing he he his next movie would be curly sue that'd be the last movie he ever directed hmm. um he did write home alone which would come in next next week next uh, yeah next syncast but um but uh but he I, I guess he sort of got tired of the directing thing uncle buck was a fun movie they've even oh, yeah. tried to make two tv series it's, out of it it's there's one running right now yeah no, it just got canceled oh really yeah, yeah. thank so, god <laughs> uh so yeah so i mean they the material is apparently right for tv series but they never it's just one of those okay movies uh a, a, a christmas tradition national lampoon's christmas vacation yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, i think everybody likes that i don't know i don't remember everybody liking it when it first came out but man do people love it now oh, man yeah. i would rather watch christmas vacation than any of the other chevy chase vacation movies. yeah oh yeah. yeah oh yeah absolutely it's yeah, i'm everything. the same way about those they're so good 
Yeah. And then uh, The Abyss, uh, James Ooh. Cameron. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a good movie. That, yeah. I remember watching it and I was like, I don't know. I don't, I don't really like this. But you watch it in subsequent years. I really, really have enjoyed this. This is also the first movie where I ever saw boobs. Oh, yeah. Really? Well, you know, I had this a weird your first boob movie? childhood. I wasn't allowed to watch a lot of movies that were likely to have boobs. Mm. Okay. You're going to have to refresh my memory on the boob scene because I don't remember that in the abyss. Maybe I'm thinking of Leviathan. It could be Leviathan, which also came, I think it came out this year. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like there were a bunch of underwater, like Leviathan and Deep Star Six and all yeah. that. It might be next year, the next year, but. Well, one of those underwater movies, I saw boobs and, and it was life changing. That's no, all. I don't remember it in the abyss. <laughs> if there was in the abyss, then it's one of those, uh, another James Cameron PG 13 movie that gets away with boobs. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, the abyss is another movie that's better, like uh, the director's cut and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like the, it's better than the theatrical cut. So yeah, I think it's gotten sort of a even though it was a it was a big hit back in the day. I think it's gotten sort of a lot a lot of more uh, appreciation. Great today. effects, groundbreaking oh, effects, fantastic yeah, effects. Yeah, awesome. Cameron's always on the the pulse of that. Mm. Um, and then Steel Magnolias came out. That's another one we'll just mention. Uh, Weekend at Bernie's, <laughs> um, and uh, Parenthood. Parenthood was another great yeah, comedy. Another great uh, Steve Martin at his best. And I all was that. watching uh, the talent of Mr. Ripley yesterday. Mm-hmm. The part where he kills Freddie and he carries him out to his car, and I, and I was like, "Well, I worked in Weekend at Bernie's. Like, <laughs> why, why is it such a big deal?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and Spielberg continuing with his weird, like eighties. He did always in 1989. Yeah. Uh, I I think this is the movie that he finally goes, all right, I'm going to take a break. And the next time I come back, it's going to be Jurassic Park. (laughs) 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 Um, So, so yeah, it was a weird, uh, that was a weird movie for Spielberg. Uh, And now after that, like Tango and Cash and Star Trek. (laughs) Tango and Cash. I'm ready to vote. (laughs) Casualties of War, Brian De Palma, Casualties of War um stuff like that yeah so i'm i'm ready to vote too look who's talking what's the order chief so today's order is barrett jeremy and chris ah you're screwed chris we're gonna screw you i hope so (laughs) i hope so whatever barrett picks i'm gonna agree with just to fuck you since there's no cameras in here i I hope so i don't know we actually may come to somewhat of a consensus because i'm gonna go with indiana jones and the last crusade wow all right all right because uh for everything that we mentioned about it like it's it's just so perfect from start to finish as an adventure movie uh as as just a classic uh representation of of a classic character and like i said that last sequence in in going through the the crusaders and all that stuff and and figuring out the puzzles to get there and then picking the right thing uh the right grail uh it's just awesome it's just terrific so that's that's my pick in a crowded year i could have probably picked among five movies and I couldn't talk myself out of Indiana Jones. Well, we are going to go several rounds because he's right. There are so many picks that I can't argue against. I can't fault him for picking Last Crusade, but I'm going Field of Dreams. Oh, um, mm-hmm. because uh, of everything I said earlier, because uh, it it just hits my sweet spot. There are movies that are just, you know, those moments in life when you're hanging out with friends and something silly happens and you and it's hilarious and you cry laughing but it's never as funny trying to explain that situation to somebody else because you had to mm. sort of be there. And the mo- this movie hits me like that. Like, it's just I can't articulate why 
Jeremy loves it so much. Uh, but he does. It's not, there's not a bad thing about it. It's Kevin Costner at his everyman best. Uh, James Earl Jones is hilarious. He doesn't get the chance to be funny a lot in films, and he's playing a cranky old bastard, so maybe that helps. <laughs> um, but I just love this movie through and through, and uh, so I'm going Field of Dreams, and I'm curious to see where Chris goes. Uh, we are going to go multiple rounds here, guys, because Do the Right Thing is my wow. number one choice of 1989. Nice. And uh, really, you, honestly, if you haven't seen it, you should watch it just for the fact that of the artistry that's just involved here. Um, the, there's, I don't think there's any movie in 1989 that uh, has this kind of uh, uh, movement in it. Um, and it's just, uh, it, it's something that nobody, no audiences had really seen before. Yeah. I don't feel like. And uh, um, yes, it's racially charged. Yes. It has some, some, uh, you know, some very, very heavy moments in it, but it is you you cannot go through it better than the way spike lee does and and it's just an exciting film and i would i can't recommend it enough it's almost disappointing that the movie gets categorized or talked about almost solely about the racial charged element and right you know that 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 is good that we need stories like that Mm -hmm. but the the artistry of his directing work and the camera work and the way he sort of stages some of those scenes is is often discarded when we talk about this movie because the racial stuff is so so much of a trigger right um but i can't fault you for that one either but that's how he builds that tension like the whole focusing on the heat and everything and and uh every every scene builds tension yeah. or every segment kind of builds tension leading up to the the finale and everything and it's uh, oh it's it, it's it's great and and you know spike lee does all these like little segments that just show up in the movie and they you, you're like what does that have to do with the story well not it doesn't have much to do with the plot on the whole but it does show you what kind of powder keg you're on yeah. mm-hmm. and yeah. there's just a simple scene of a white guy going to his brownstone in brooklyn and everything and and you know black guys come up to him and they're like you know you know just what are you doing coming to our neighborhood and all this other stuff is hey man i have a right to be here just like everybody else does and all that and it's just like there's just this like sort of like oh my this is kind of something that's just bubbling at the surface and that's why it's in the movie and then and then you it just takes a little bit of thing to set that off and that's why that that movie just just keeps you know barreling towards its finale hmm. um anyway uh barrett uh wow. what's your second choice wow i i hate this because i'm not going to go with any of those as my second choice <laughs> although, although they're awesome both of them are fantastic i never got into field as dreams as as much as people in my cohort did for whatever reason i love baseball and i love kevin costner but just for whatever reason it didn't resonate with me um my second pick would actually be um oh man it's between two of them uh i'm gonna go with crimes and misdemeanors okay uh, yeah, all right yeah for every reason that i said before like everybody's at really at the top of their game here and uh it's it's a very different to that point it's a very different woody allen film all right well then uh my second pick is when harry met sally yeah, oh, yeah. nice and uh this might be the longest menu this is gonna go some rounds ever um but for all the reasons barrett mentioned when he brought it up in the main discussion it's it was so unlike the traditional romantic comedy and gave us a look at not only a non-traditional relationship it gave us dialogue and comedy 
where they talked about things we hadn't seen characters talk about in romantic comedies. It gives us this relationship over many years instead of just a single season. Uh, it's just fantastic. Rob Reiner uh, at the pinnacle of his awesomeness. And uh, yeah, I'm going when Harry met Sally. Well, and and there's plenty just like 1984 where I have seen some of these millions of times. It's, it, it just, it, you know, I can't fault so many of these movies and I'm going to go Dead Poet Society on my wow. second choice. We have done six different, like, not, we haven't doubled one yet. We haven't doubled one yet. And you can't argue with any of them. And, <laughs> no. And Dead Poet Society is a movie, I've seen it, it probably in my top five as far as number of times seen. Mm. And um, and uh, it, I don't know what else to say. It's a, it's just such a great movie. I love Robin Williams in it. And yeah. uh and um and even though the the ebert thing that i was reading was like i kind of agree with that (laughs) but Uh, you still love it i still love that movie so much so barrett on to you again i am gonna break out uh, of the mold because this was 2a for me i'm gonna go with harry when harry met sally okay that's it's just right in the wheelhouse of a great romantic comedy right when reiner is at the kind of at his nadir yeah and i'm my third vote is say anything oh my god yeah um I don't need to say anymore. I don't need to say anything about say anything. That's right. If you've never seen it uh, and you've ever been in love, go watch it. You won't regret it. Um, I'm curious to see where this goes, though. This is getting harder now. It's actually getting harder. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, because when you when you guys have mentioned When Harry Met Sally and Say Anything, both movies I adore, hmm. I, When Harry Met Sally is going to be my my third choice does that mean we have a winner i think so yep we yeah, just crowned got... when harry met sally i think so yeah um i i honestly don't think it's the best movie of 1989 <laughs> this is sort of how oscars i think go a lot of times uh but it you can't vote against it as a bad movie it's not a bad movie by no. any means it's a great movie right um well and the point is the point is that we're collectively choosing yeah. the sin casts you know best movie of the year so you don't have to believe it's the best this is just where the math falls out yeah yeah i mean and and honestly uh you asked me next week i could have said last crusade there <laughs> that's how kind of bullshit it gets once it starts getting to that third and fourth choice is that you know you're weighing what's what i mean i could make a lot of these my first choice yeah that's how that's how these go so okay guys when harry met sally one in our nineteen eighty nine. You should see his face. You should see his face when he's saying this because he's, he's not happy about it. I'm the deciding vote. I was, could have said Last Crusade and just made this keep going, he's, but I he is bummed out. I just when when people hear this, it's going to be like, oh, it's such a great year, and you guys picked that one. You know, he's but like, if they listen, they're going to hear the the six picks prior to that being determined and yeah. know that we spread around the love pretty well. I think. Oh, yeah. yeah okay so I, I i can live with it i just i just can't believe we came up with it <laughs> it's the consensus pick it's yeah. not the best <laughs> pick. Right. it's that's the consensus right. pick uh, i'm hoping that uh, you're shocking all for the last five minutes when you've turned off this syncast <laughs> you'll realize that's what we've been saying the whole time <laughs> our bodies come in different shapes and sizes so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. 
Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Okay, so uh, guys, today we're going to be talking about summer blockbusters in general. And uh, Barrett, I'm going to let you take this one away. Okay. So uh, similar to what we did last week, we were talking about sports movies, and we titled it uh, the episode Summer Classics as a reference to the All-Star Game. Uh, but it, it kind of got us in the mood to, to talk about being that it's summer, in case you haven't noticed, uh, to kind of think about the things that happen around summer. And, of course, it's a big blockbuster season. And we wanted to look back at some of the big blockbusters of the past and see what worked, what didn't. Uh, what uh, we liked and what we didn't, and uh, what could be kind of lessons learned from the past moving forward is we've seen there's there's been some kind of more bad than good come out recently, especially on the blockbuster front. So I'll start by posing a question to you guys. Um, I've kind of separated the uh, the overall uh, genre of blockbusters, summer blockbusters, as kind of effects films and non-effects films to start us off. Uh, and with effects films, I was thinking about things like um, Aliens, uh, Avengers, uh, Inception, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters. Now, those aren't primarily effects movies, and that's probably what we'll get into. But when it comes to these these movies that have special effects, and especially CGI, where they almost become dependent on it now, what about those movies that I would say are good effects movies? What about those? What do they get right that they should do more often? Well, Jurassic Park... We make jokes in Sins videos all the time about how is it possible that we had better effects when Jurassic Park came out <laughs> than we do today. The answer, of course, is Stan Winston. Um, and you know, there's a lot of high quality digital effects going on today, right? And the best stuff you don't even know is there. If you watch any of those Game of Thrones, how we did the effects videos at the end of every season, you'd be floored how many trees and buildings and flags and horses are not real. You don't. You don't realize it when you're watching the episode because it's subtle. It's that well done. Um, you know, effects don't work today because they're bad. We can't afford the computer artistry to get it done well, right? Yeah. I mean, you have something like Titanic that, that came out that was so masterful, right? Yeah. I mean, you could see the big disparity between what Titanic did and what James Cameron did. Of course, he's got all the money in the world. But uh, that's that it part of it, though, progressively getting better and better and better. And it's not. Well, but a lot of that that he did on Titanic was practical, right? He built this he built like a one fifth scale replica of the ship and shot out on the water. And and so you know, we may end up making this discussion all about practical versus CGI. I don't know. But, I, you know, I want to compare something like Jurassic Park with Jurassic World. Yeah. Where, you know, I think Jurassic World's dinosaurs looked OK. But there's an indescribable fakeness to them 
that wasn't there with Stan Winston's dinosaurs, even in the cases where Spielberg used CG. Um, and why is that? Well, in Jurassic World, there's a, a, a several uh, non-existent dinosaurs yep. that are in it. Yep. Like they had to make those from scratch. And there's also, this is something else that sort of uh, uh, gets into your brain while you're watching a movie. Something as simple as the park itself, which has that big, huge building in the background that they always show or whatever. Yeah. That's totally CGI. Yeah. Those type of things infect your mind as this isn't real. I'm not in a real world. Yeah. Uh, there's too many effects going on all the time in the background and like you know stuff flying around and all that where you know jurassic park seemed to kind of use that sparingly even though there are a couple of scenes you know where they're like driving through and there's like all the whatever the tachyo is that what it is they're all the herd of all those dinosaurs they do that a couple of times but most of the time it's sparing and you have stan winston who is i mean did he teach anybody anything before he, he I mean, <laughs> it doesn't it, seem like he did. I don't think he did. I think he's the only guy who could do the thing that he could do. Yeah. And it's uh, a testament to his greatness. The, the further we go into the future of cinema, how great his shit still holds up. Because he was also a part of that Terminator 2 stuff, yep. which, you know, I mean, yeah, you look back at those. Those are just fantastic today. They're better than today. How is that possible? Well, and I think. We're hitting on something inadvertently because that was James Cameron again. Mm -hmm. you know, James Cameron and Spielberg are the kind of directors that not only get a budget to be able to do good effects, but they have the artistry to make the most of the budget that they do have. And maybe maybe that's what makes the difference, right? I like I was, I I don't have anything against Colin Trevorrow. I don't know the guy. I don't. I've never met him. He might be awesome, but I don't think Jurassic World showed me anything that made me want to give that guy a star wars movie yeah but he's directing episode nine or rogue one one of the two i also feel like this all this sort of ties into what i'm talking about with when you get time to make these movies um when you have practical effects and you have to actually build this world and make it look real like sort of like what force awakens did even though the force awakens has a lot of digital effects too it's mostly a, a lot of the cool stuff in there is practical mm. um but when you have time and you sit there and you're not trying to hit a release date that's one of the things that's one of the hallmarks of summer blockbusters is trying to get a release date because they're trying to get the merchandise and all this other type of stuff you know they're trying to get a taco bell tie-in they're yeah. trying to get all these different things that don't service the movie it services their money and their bottom line and i don't i can't fault them for trying to do that but for the actual movie itself it loses a lot uh in the translation on that well and that is we've sort of gotten to a point now where they're 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 planting their flag on summer dates three four years out yep um a lot of the comic book movies are doing this we know the dates on most of the upcoming star wars movies they're not all going to be summer then most of them would be christmas but um yeah once you set the wheels in motion on something so huge for a specific date there comes a point where the quality of the content you're creating no longer matters. Yeah, there's how many times are they on set and they're like, let's do this and whatever. And then like they're not quite getting what they want, but they're like, we don't have another day That's to it. do this. Yeah, <laughs> we, we have to go to the next thing. Yeah. We'll have to we'll have to deal with this. Yeah. And you you start piecing those together over time, over all the scenes 
yeah, that's going to show up. It it may not when you first you may not think of it that way when you're just shooting one scene and then you shoot another one two two three weeks later or whatever put that all in one movie it just becomes it starts to weigh it down yeah and that doesn't even necessarily have to do with just the effects that applies to everything right the, yeah. the character the the performances the editing you know everything the sound all that stuff also has to be compressed so yeah. even if you have the greatest effects in the world if you've got shitty dialogue or if you've got a shitty performance or you've got shitty editing then that's going to affect the overall you know aesthetic of the movie right yeah right. and now how long has now we're going to go see ghostbusters in a few days mm-hmm. and we're going to do a mini pod review of that movie how long has that movie been set on this date oh it's probably been two years and 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 how how much room did they probably have to wiggle to to make that movie as good as possible i mean maybe they had plenty i don't know but you know i'm seeing progressive ads with flow and ghostbusters <laughs> yeah, i'm papa seeing John's. papa john covered in slime kobe this is the kind of <laughs> shit they're setting up that, that that forces them to not be able to move off that date Right. And, um, you know, what? sometimes a movie comes through and it's still great. Obviously, there are plenty of examples of that. But, you know, you, this bottom line is all that matters. Opening weekend, box office take. Uh, it's it's just slowly choking creativity. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, this gets into the larger discussion of how studios are having a hard time greenlighting anything original because there's so much money being thrown into these movies that they have to make these succeed or else yeah you know they they don't want to spend a whole bunch of money on something original because there's it's such a gamble for yeah, them exactly and uh and i don't know what the solution is i feel like if they just give these give these movies an extra year you know they they could they could sort of it would sort of balance out but I'm not the guy looking at the the accounting numbers. Well, and that's the thing, right? No studio president ever took the job and made his first order of business to make a great movie that wins an Oscar. Right. (laughs) First order of business is I'm going to make money. Yeah. Um, And and you have to step back and understand the business decisions when Transformers 5, 6, and 7 get greenlit. Because that, like you're saying, that's a known entity. They, they can do some math and figure, we'll probably make this much. Whereas if they wanted to make something brand new from scratch that nobody in the world knows anything about, they've got to work harder to make people want to see it. And it's a gamble because they may not like it. Yeah, no name recognition at all. Uh, even though like stuff like The Martian and Gravity and Interstellar, all these movies that you know our original titles and everything they were able to get those you know i don't know you know th- those were almost magic the way those came <laughs> well yeah what about mad max is that seen as like just a happy accident or you think that was that's something that could be used as a template going forward well, that speaks to what we're talking about directly because he was storyboarding that movie for 10 years yeah. and they yeah. shot the thing when they actually did the production lasted like three years Jesus. Like he just took his time. Yeah. And again, there's another instance where a director is just masterful with practical effects and then sparingly using CG in ways that you won't even notice it. Like I think I know people who think that entire movie was practical and that there wasn't any CG in it. That's how good he yeah. was at mixing the two. But he just took his sweet ass time. Like he wasn't going to yeah. make it until he was ready. That just go. I mean, you know, just sort of uh, along those lines, like. that's why i think the first iron man is one of the best comic book movies is because there was no pressure they they probably just let john favreau just like let's you know we'll see how this goes and then we'll try to get him out with avengers at some point but whatever we'll see what iron man does and he was allowed to just sort of 
well, let's make a good movie first. Mm. And because uh, I don't, I don't, I remember when I first saw trailers for Iron Man, I, I didn't think that was going to do anything yeah. because it just, it didn't make sense to me. I was like, who's Iron Man? Yeah. And, uh, and, and then suddenly it just blows up the box office and everything because it was actually good and yeah. had good word of mouth and everything. I feel like John Favreau was given the most time to do any of those movies that have come out since. Well, then even by the second one, you can, whether or not they did, you can feel the studio pushing Black Widow and, and Rhodey War Machine oh, yeah. and, and already pushing the cinematic universe stuff. And maybe that's why the second one was such a mess. I don't know. Well, and, and I remember when just the, the end credit sequence was enough to get you excited about the next movie. Now they want to do it in the movie, especially like Avengers Age of Ultron, which did that in, in an insane degree, it made that movie feel like it was five hours long um and <laughs> or batman versus superman where yeah. they literally just cut out an entire fucking segment I know. What the to fuck introduce all of these new characters by email yeah <laughs> yeah and not to mention the stupid ass dream sequence that happens yeah, in it too like, hey i'm gonna be in your next movie okay see ya. yeah yeah exactly um so so a lot of that that factors in too i mean it's making you excited about the next movie should be the uh job of the marketing department that makes that next movie not right right well the end credit sequences have now turned into the whole movie and what we get at the end credit sequence now is more often cryptic shit i have to go google <laughs> yeah because i don't know what the fuck i just saw right um and so yeah i don't I, it, it's changing it's completely changing the, the way that they make these things the the things they care about regarding them the way they market them and it's just becoming like this sequelitis is not going to slow down. No, this cinematic universe thing is not going to slow down. I think we saw we talked about something uh, concerning this year where there's all these number twos that have been coming out that have been horrible, mm. and they haven't done anything in the box office. And we sort of hoped that you know this would be the end of that or whatever. But uh, I was looking, I was looking at some stuff today, and and I'll always talk about how 2005 is the worst m year of movies <laughs> yeah. ever ever created um 2005 was chock full of sequels and remakes nobody wanted and it was one of the biggest uh drop-offs from previous years that had ever that movie industry had ever seen uh despite that 2005 showing right they continue to do these remakes now they're you know, I guess they're trying to make, you know, well, let's like, let's not make a remake that's about a 1960s TV show, but uh, we'll make one that's from something in the 90s. People kind of remember mm. the 90s or whatever, but they're, yeah, they don't remember, they don't remember that about 2005. They're just going to keep on doing this stuff over and over again. And I think 2016 is a, is up uh, compared to last year, which is insane to me. It is insane. It's really on the basis of three movies. Deadpool. <laughs> and like, it's more than that but it's like five movies that have made and it's all disney nearly yeah that you know that's the reason why that we're ahead of last year well and i think again this is conversation is probably going in directions we never thought it would sure. but i think it's really interesting to look at and i've talked about this on twitter before disney has become almost a monopoly they're so large they yeah. own star wars they own pixar they own the muppets they own marvel um that is going to be an impact on film in general, mm -hmm. that so many blockbusters and movies are coming out from one house. Uh, that's going to have a sea change effect on the whole rest of cinema. I wouldn't be surprised to start seeing 
more super teams where Paramount and Universal go, let's team up and then we can be like Disney and we'll have the Transformers and the Mummy movies or what have you. Um, <laughs> but I mean, that that has an impact. I don't think we can deny that from a business standpoint. Well, it already has in some ways in that the studios have started doing their like, let's make this a universe. Let's right. make King Kong a universe. Yeah, like, even which though they're that, doing. Like, which has what three movie potential i think that's about it there's not really that much you can do as far as a king kong universe i don't think as far as like quality movies are concerned anyway um, well and it's going to affect whether they green light a standalone film based on whether or not they think they can franchise it or universize it right yeah some films that may be great are going to get turned down because it's not universe building or franchisable and that's a freaking shame yeah i can't i mean how many in the past five six years have probably been turned down by, based on that alone right who knows and they've and maybe they've tried to make it but they don't have the support and the backing to do it and all that and they you know the, a great idea turns into an okay so, well every so year they put out that blacklist right the 10 best unproduced scripts in hollywood and mm -hmm. everybody always was always raving about them well there's a reason those movies didn't get made because they weren't transformers five i guess yeah. you need somebody like uh, a christopher for nolan to come in and do a franchise that they know is is going to be a franchise right right like if you if you have somebody that's a true auteur you know somebody that comes in that has a knowledge of practical effects and has a knowledge of character development and of plot and and storyboarding and editing and things like that and then you end up with something like the dark knight uh being a summer blockbuster that uh, is is in a universe a self-contained universe and even that goes off the rails by the third well, act. and that's the thing, right? There, like DC has given that role to Zack Snyder. I know, which makes no sense to me or anyone. Um, and and then on the Marvel side, they they keep bringing in big directors and then forcing their hands so much they quit. That's what happened with Favreau. That that's what happened with uh, Joss Whedon. Edgar Joss Wright. Whedon was all yeah, Edgar Wright. Joss Whedon was almost almost flat out said it. Right. Like yeah. it crushed his soul to make that movie. <laughs> yeah. And that's sad because Joss Whedon is an angel. I know. Um, but <laughs> we need more of that. What you're saying, bring in somebody who's got an established track record and talent, but they're not doing it for various reasons. One is creative on the Marvel side. And then on the DC side, either Zack Snyder's cheaper or he's more easily controllable than Nolan. I'm not sure, because even prior to Man of Steel, I didn't feel like he'd done anything to show he could handle the dc franchise yeah. and universe i feel yeah. like 300 bought that dude all the goodwill in the world yeah. well, and he must be like amazeballs in person like you meet that guy <laughs> and you walk away like, he's one of those guys you're like that's a fucking awesome guy yeah. like he must be one of those guys right oh, yeah anyway so yeah i mean that's why i keep you know hoping that affleck will will squeeze in there into the Nolan role of this new DC universe, he maybe d directs a standalone Batman and then becomes the new Nolan. I would freaking love that. I just feel like that DC universe is already lost. I, I don't, I don't really think there's anybody that can help that can save it at this point. Um, the, just the, the individual movies that they're planning on making. Can you see everybody like line? I mean, I honestly, like I said, I honestly didn't, think anybody would line up for iron man and i was totally wrong and i mean i think i knew like a couple weeks before it came out but but like uh, a standalone wonder woman a standalone aquaman all these movies I, I can't imagine people just going yeah that's that's for me i can't wait to see what they do with the the justice league and yeah all i that. can't either i can't yeah. either and well, especially the way they did it in that introducing them first and then 
giving them their own their own film rather than what the Iron Man model of like we'll do their own movies and then we'll combine. That's yeah. how another. That's how Marvel and Disney has also changed things. Is that Warner Brothers and DC are like we need to have something like that now, right? And they forget about the fact that they that Marvel took years to get that. In fact. I you know I don't know how long they've wanted to do an Avengers movie, but they've came, they came out with all this other stuff beforehand, like the Hulk and all this other stuff, hoping that some one of those would take off, and and it, and it took a little bit, and it took them kind of some learning curve, yeah, before they could finally got they got that Iron Man, and they finally got stuff that oh okay I want to see Thor, and I want to see like you know Captain America standalone movie, I want to see these movies, and now you know DC's like like sort of taking that marvel momentum and trying to jump on a speeding train yeah. you know sort of it's uh it's weird like how that's not how you build your universe right right so no, they're going about it in complete backwards fashion and i think you're right i think the dc film universe is probably already too far gone in this direction to be salvaged but i think they're going to keep going and i think we're going to get three to seven more movies in this universe that make 200 million opening weekend and nobody really likes yeah and then you've got the supplement of this like the suicide squad too that'll kind of be like the as an aside we talked recently um about a batman movie from the villain's perspective Mm -hmm. and david ayer the director of suicide squad gave an interview and it sounds like that might be the batman we get in this movie um because he he says you know batman's not the main character so the only time we're ever going to see him is when he's terrorizing the villains that are our main characters so i wanted to point that out because i had basically been asking for that it sounds like we may get some of that but i don't think any that movie could be a plus home run awesome and i don't think it saves the dc film universe by the way uh was i completely wrong that suicide squad was supposed to be an r-rated movie and it's pg-13 i i don't know it's pg-13 it's official interesting um, looks pretty violent i when when that when the trailers came out and because of what deadpool did and all that i was just going to assume that suicide squad was r-rated it's not it's pg-13 which uh decidedly takes away a lot of the edge that you see in the trailers yeah and then you're gonna get the r-rated longer director's cut <laughs> on blu-ray yeah now it 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 bears saying that we've spent a lot of time talking about comic book movies even though this is summer blockbuster (laughs) general but it just goes to show that in the past you know past now 20 years that's how much they've infested the summer yeah um they sort of going through a history of summer blockbusters jaws is considered the first big summer blockbuster and everything before then uh, a big movie they didn't have any sort of uh release date issues they could come out with something in march or april it didn't really matter mm-hmm. it was a big movie people would go see it uh when jaws came out and it made so much money and sort of the reason behind it was you know well kids are out of school and uh, they did so much awesome marketing on it um and then star wars a couple of years later mm-hmm. came out in, in may it, it sort of set a memorial day precedent so you started seeing a bunch of stuff come out memorial day was the big huge uh you know summer block but that's when summer started was memorial day in the early 90s uh it was twister that came out in 96 which Mm. was the second week of may you saw a couple of things start coming out in in before memorial day sort of trying to get a big movie before memorial day hit so they would also get a memorial day bump at that at that moment and then it was The Mummy. It was funny that you yep. brought that up. The Mummy in 1999 was the first movie 
that I could see that came out that first week of May. It set a precedent. The, the Mummy did gobs of business uh, in that opening week. Um, ever since then, that has been the coveted release date is first week of May because that's what starts the summer season. Uh, and there's a couple of misfires in there, like Van Helsing and all that came out on the first week. Uh, but it's been dominated by comic book movies. Spider-Man came out mm. on, in 2002, the first week of May. The following year it was X2, X-Men United. And then it was, uh, and then like there was a gap there where a bunch of like non-comic book, but big time failures came out. 2008 is when they came out with Iron Man. Mm-hmm. They have not relinquished that first week of May since. Yeah, I was going to say Civil War came out the first week of May, right? Yeah, uh, all the big ones, all the huge uh, stuff. Well, and Thor also, but I mean... And weirdly, Batman v Superman came out in March. Yeah, yeah well, it was supposed to come out the first week of May. It right, was. right. It was the same date as uh, Civil War. Yeah, right? and why they didn't back further into summer as opposed to into the spring they must have had some kind of spring break algorithm or something that told them that was a better one Uh, well and there's also i'm sure that somebody was like Zack snyder's had a lot of success in march he did 300 he did watchman all that let's put it in march that's where he you know it's it's mr march some (laughs) asshole who said that look at his march numbers but it's better than spielberg yeah um but there's that spring break week basically that's when that came out and like hunger games had had a good had a good launch during that uh you know once upon a time um but yeah the it's it that's another thing that's sort of changed is how summer has changed where it used to be memorial day now it's first week of may occasionally get a fast and furious movie in april which is like that's its territory it it starts summer kind of early when it does that but it's just interesting to see that like just how they've owned summer they've just they picked that that prime week for the summer to start and they've owned it and they'll own it all the way up until 2018 at least because they've got uh guardians of the galaxy 2 coming out next year the same uh, on that first week of may They've got Infinity War coming out the following year on the first week of May. They're going to have that for a while. And but uh, but, you know, I I guess I want to kind of try to steer the conversation to just general summer blockbusters. Maybe we get back into the 90s somewhere or whatever and like not talk about comic book movies so much. Yeah, Um, maybe not back in the 90s, but I was looking at Pixar's release schedule mm -hmm. um, over the last uh, several years, I guess right in the 90s when they started with Toy Story and then A Bug's Life and Toy Story 2. And it was always holiday releases, right? It was November, December, right around. Oh, yeah. And then Finding Nemo came out in May Mm -hmm. in, in Memorial Day. Yeah. In 2003. And that started the run, besides The Incredibles, which came out in November, that started a run of like Cars, Ratatouille, Wally, Up, Toy Story 3, Cars 2, and then Brave, Monsters University, Inside Out, and, and on and on. So, like, it, they've figured out a niche, like, right in that June ish. Yeah, it's like uh, the second week of June, usually. Yeah. yeah. And, and obviously, it's doing great. I mean, look, I look at Finding Dory yeah. and, and all that stuff, you know? Well, uh, you know, my county where I live is uh, slowly transitioning to year-round school where oh yeah yeah where eventually they'll have like four three or four week breaks throughout the year but they'll be going to school in the summer and i know that this is happening in other places and i know that there are a lot more charter schools and free thinking when it comes to how to educate your kids and homeschool so my question is 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 there maybe a chance we get to a point where summer blockbusters don't have to be dropped in the summer anymore or 
the studios begin shifting their thinking a lot because right now we're still operating on basically oh everybody's out of school for the summer so let's do and that's why the christmas season is big too because yeah. everybody's out of school for yeah. so i'm wondering if some of that leverage is going to start to melt away as if if more places in the U.S. move toward year-round school or what have you. That's just uh, it fascinating. Maybe so, me yeah, especially about. for the animated stuff because you know if they do have a sweet spot, and God knows they've done all the analytics about when and where and how and in which which area of the the, the country is is in and out of of school. If you've got something like the beginning or the first two weeks of June, chances are almost everybody's going to be out, even for like a two or three week break. Yeah. Um, and so if they can get that in there, too, then they go back and they start talking to their friends and then they start going still to see the movies, even you know while they're in school. I think I think there's a way uh, for them to, to capitalize on. Do that you think sure. they look at Deadpool and say, wow, how look how great a movie can do in the winter? Or do you think they look at Deadpool and say, man, imagine how much we'd have made if we put it out in July? That's exactly what they're thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the next Deadpool will not come out in February or January. Yeah, no. The, I mean, they it, sort of there's experimental dates. That's why you, uh, you see a certain movie like Deadpool come out on, on a Valentine's Day weekend or whatever like that is like, like they know they have something special here. And as long as they market it right, maybe they'll, you know, I don't think they expected it to do as much as it did. Um but they also know that if they had come out with Deadpool in the summer, that there would have been comic book fatigue for sure by that point, because you have <laughs> Civil War and X-Men yeah. and Apocalypse and all that have come out. And then now you got Deadpool coming out. It, it probably wouldn't have made as much money in February. I mean, it, as it did in February. But now a Deadpool 2 will certainly come out. Uh, in May or June or something like that. I feel like, like some of the highest grossing movies of all time were winter releases. Titanic, Avatar. They are. Force Awakens. You have um, to get the perfect alignment, though. Like, if you if you come out with that movie in December 17th or whatever it is, uh, that has to be sort of like, uh, there has to be like three weeks of people being out of school. It's mm. got to be that perfect formation of it, and that's what Titanic and Avatar and all the Force Awakens sort of took advantage of especially force awakens force awakens made nearly all the money it made in those first three weeks yeah it did um but but yeah it's it's sort of a configuration type of thing if you have enough days before people get back into school and everything but yeah that can be a very valuable christmas holiday season can be very valuable if you well come uh, out wasn't the hunger games trying for that window and they just went too early in november <laughs> no i mean i mean Hunger Games had several problems. <laughs> um, the first was that they made that they didn't build their audience after they came out with their first movie. Um, it was basically Hunger Games fans yeah. and pe- you know people who who liked the first one, I guess. And once you watch that second one, then you're like, well, I'm committed. Yeah, I'm going to watch the other ones. <laughs> um, I. That's the thing that struck me was when we did Mockingjay and everything, I was like, who would watch this movie if it wasn't for the first Hunger Games? <laughs> yeah. N- yeah. Nobody would watch this movie. It's That's how bad it is. It's not very good at mm. all. Um, so, yeah, I think they I think they, you know, they they made a lot of mistakes on the franchise itself. Um, but, yeah, they tried to come out with it before Thanksgiving. That's a, a, a good way to try to get, you know, if you have a big movie. You get the Thanksgiving bump, and then you, if you're good enough, you get all the way to the Christmas and the Christmas bump too. Right. Um, 
and and there's been a lot of like huge movies that came out before Thanksgiving and mm-hmm. everything. Like you're talking about a lot of those Pixar movies. They, yeah, would, they play. Oh, yeah, they oh, play yeah. all the way to the end of January. Yeah, Harry Potter's used to come out in November. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, which is a perfect season to see something like that for whatever reason. I because, agree because it's the whole school season. Yeah, they don't really focus on the summer, and that's a great time to to watch a bunch of wizards running around like in in cold weather and things like that. <laughs> I um. That's that's what they show, right? That's that's the whole movie. Yeah, that's that's it. what it is. Wizards running around in the snow and catching it with their tongues. It's like boys running around the jungle. Yeah, yeah. Boys running around in the jungle. Now, you know what? Peace Dragon's going to be a huge hit now that Tarzan is. Um, but yeah, I was looking back at some of the '90s stuff though that you know that came out in the summer, stuff like The Firm and Forrest oh, yeah. Gump, yeah, and stuff like that. Like you, I don't think you would see those type of movies today coming out in the yeah, summer yeah. like like there's i think the last one the last like adult type movie that you know i mean there's probably been a lot more but the last big one that i remember was gone girl and yeah. i don't know it was a gone girl gone girl was october so that wasn't even a summer movie i mean there's the, they don't they tend to avoid uh making those type of like book adaptation well how did the know? nice guys do didn't do anything oh really yeah oh, that's a shame it's a good movie but yeah i mean it was up against it. I mean, they, you come out with a movie like that in May and, and everybody's excited about Civil War and all this other stuff. You know, it just didn't have much of a chance. I don't think. Well, they can still take a swing. I mean, if you think about, so Pirates of the Caribbean came out, the first one came out in 2003, right? Yep. And that was a big swing, right? Because every other pirate movie before then pretty much had, had just failed. Yeah. Right? Cutthroat Island and, yeah. and Pirates yeah. and, and all that stuff. And there was just this, pardon the pun, like a perfect storm mm-hmm. of the performance, depths, like uh, take on the character, and just the 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 great actors and fun dialogue, and uh, you know, an interesting universe that that had yet to be explored, overexplored, which it, it is in the next three or four movies. Uh, and so, I mean, it, it, it's worth doing that, and I guess people are still seeing it. Having said that, of course, it's it was 2003 the last time they did something like that, and it, it paid off so well. Well, and I think it's interesting to point out that when that movie was announced, we probably all rolled our eyes the way we did at the Tetris movie. Absolutely, yeah. Well, because it was based on a animatronic Disney ride, yeah, yeah. and we're like, what the hell? How are you going to make a movie out of that? Yeah. Well, and they just basically ignored the ride and made a pirate movie. Yeah. But, you know, I I still think the first Pirates movie is good. I really enjoy that oh, one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, maybe I'm talking to myself here and I should be a little more forgiving when I see a kooky adaptation idea come out like Emoji the movie. Actually, yeah. no, that one's going to be terrible, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but well, there was a time where we thought Pirates of the Caribbean, a movie, what the hell? There was the same thing for the Lego movie initially, right? Well, and it, again, to counter myself, they also made adaptations of The Haunted House and the bears that sing, the singing, you remember the country bears? Country bears. No. Um, <laughs> and those were flops. So, yeah. Yeah, um, and and pirates like that. I mean, look, it, it goes to show what happens when you stretch that premise further than that. Yes. Because after that, those movies are horrible. Yes, uh, the first the first pirates. I agree. I enjoyed that. It's a perfect summer movie. Yeah. Uh, then then they got big too big for their britches. Basically, you know uh, that that second one. I, I feel like there were a lot of people who loved that second one. But, <sighs> and then they hated the third one. And yeah. I was like, they're, they're, 
they're the same horrible movie. I think the people that that like Dead Man's Chest are the same people that liked The Dark Knight Rises. Mm-hmm. Like their expectations were so high. It's it's a weird like inverted U shaped curve basically or bell curve where like if your expectations are you know right in the middle, then you can be disappointed. If your expectations are are too high, you know you're going to talk yourself into it. Or you're just basically going to be completely uh, disenfranchised. I couldn't from even it. have told you that Dead Man's Chest was the second one. Yeah, like the subtitles all completely run together. <laughs> yeah, <right>? no, <laughs> like, totally. Like the movies. The chest is on Stranger well, Tides and at the world's end yeah. and all that stuff. And well, whatever the next one is, they're making. Yeah, that third Pirates of the Caribbean came out in 2007, the year that it was the year of the threequels, is yeah, what they are, yeah. and they are all horrible. Spider Man <laughs> Three, Shrek the Third, Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. And I remember the way they configured that summer. Everybody was like, this is going to be the biggest summer ever. And, it, you know, no, it wasn't. It was <laughs> it wasn't the biggest summer ever because people Spider-Man three started off and like everybody's like, yeah, this is going to kick some ass. Oh. It's uh, it put a bad taste in everybody's mouth. But yeah. then like all these other ones that came out weren't good either. Mm. Um, uh, and so it sort of set the tone for that that year. It was a year full of sequels. What else do we want to talk about as far as summer blockbusters? The only other thing I had on my mind was how nostalgic I am for the days of standing in line for a summer blockbuster. Mm. Oh yeah, like I remember Twister. Um, there was like the theater had like set up some mock fire hydrant fountain thing that was spraying water they had an overturned car and an uprooted tree all as like a display to promote nice. the movie and we were standing for like an hour outside wrapped around the block of this theater and i don't think anybody has to do that anymore anywhere no they don't uh that is something else that uh, curiously to me by the way has become a thing where where uh the theaters don't want to sell out of of a movie they fear that if you go to a theater and find that it's sold out you won't go there ever again or you won't buy a ticket there ever like you'll go to the competition but like i remember i remember when some big movies would come out and our district manager would be like be sure to interlock that big movie because we don't want to have anybody uh get turned away and all that and i'm like don't your profits for the movie in the first weekend isn't that like at its lowest possible time? Yeah. That's at its lowest. Like, yeah, you'll sell more concessions and everything, and maybe that's what you're going to be happy about at the end of the day. But as far as actual movie tickets are concerned, you are behind the eight ball on that, and you're and you're basically making people buy tickets that they would have gladly purchased the following week. Right when you're, it starts to get more favorable for you. I never understood that. I'm sure there's somebody who knows why that's the big deal. But that's another thing that happens. There's so many prints of movies because I remember Shrek Two, uh, Hollywood Twenty Seven had eight prints of that. God, it started every fifteen <laughs> minutes, and <laughs> and you would start it, and I was like, I don't think this movie's doing anything, and it ended up being a top ten of all time movie that came out. But like you'd start it, and there was like you know twenty people in this theater, another thirty hmm. in that one. I always thought that sellouts. Uh, created buzz for the movie uh they said oh yeah i mean i went there and it was sold out must be pretty good well and And now all they care about is that first weekend gross right yeah and we'll never see titanic again a movie that was earning 20 to 40 million every weekend for like three months right because there was so much word of mouth and repeat viewing uh that were i went to see it 
opening weekend. It was sold out. I had to see this, the following show. It builds anticipation. It builds buzz. And that's all gone now. Yeah. And that's why the studios don't care anymore how much legs their movie has. They just want that first two weeks to make yeah, enough money. Out. Yeah. So it's uh, it's just I'm I'm nostalgic for those times and uh, they'll never come back. <laughs> yeah. Like the Seinfeld episodes you watch and they're standing in line for a movie. And maybe in New York City, you still stand in line at the actual ticket counter a little bit. But then you used to have great conversations yeah. talking about the movie we're about to see. Uh, and that's all that's all gone now because I know no show's ever going to sell out anywhere. <laughs> And I don't even know how Fandango makes money anymore because who pre-buys movie tickets? Like, <laughs> why would you do that at this point? Like, I know when we go see Ghostbusters at Hollywood 27 in a few days, it's not going to be sold out. We're not yeah. going to get turned away. There's yeah. no doubt in my mind. So yeah. I'm not going to buy that ticket until I'm standing right there. Yeah, yeah. You can you you can go 15 minutes before the movie starts yeah. and just go. Only re- by the way, you ask who's buying on Fandango. I'm one of them only because. <laughs> That I don't like any lines. So, like, there are lines you have to sit in. Sure. And so, like, if it's even 10 people deep, I can't stand it. So, I'm like, all right, I'm going to buy this ticket and just go right on in. Now, and, that but, that you're tr- you're right. You don't have to buy it to get the ticket. You right, don't. Right. So, that's the only reason I buy it. Well, and at, at, at my local theater, which is a 14 or 16 plex, I don't think I've ever seen more than three people in line at concession or box office. There's just no... I don't know. I miss it. And I don't know why, because I hate lines, too. But there was something fun about that summer blockbuster anticipation. Mm-hmm. We're an hour away from seeing this thing. Yeah. Uh, and it's gone. We uh, we also haven't really touched on the fact that a lot of movies now are made uh, not for American audiences. Right. It used to be that uh, you had to have a domestic take of a certain amount in order to uh, be successful movie. Now, especially since they've opened it up, China's opened it up and everything, where China can actually outgross uh, U.S. domestic a lot of times. Um, like Warcraft. Yeah, Warcraft is is going to be the biggest beneficiary of foreign gross uh, that we've ever seen, because in here has done nothing. Right, right. But uh, overseas, it's I think it's made its money back. Yeah, I think it's I think it's done enough to make the studio at least think about making another one. Yeah, and wow. that was all the Chinese audience. Not not America basically gave that movie the finger. And I have no idea what they did that was so different. Uh, when they marketed it to china and that Ch- you know everybody in china wanted to see this movie who it knows is. i mean it it's almost suspicious it is <laughs> like it is. like i mean come on nobody wants to see this movie and yet there's this one country that wants to see it because the one that really got opened my eyes on this was the world war z Mm-hmm. it didn't do terrible in the u.s i think it made a hundred million or something but it did so much better overseas that yep. that movie was super profitable they're making another one yeah um and you know just from what i usually read about box office and reviews and success i would have thought that movie was considered a failure um nope super success yeah uh, because of overseas audiences and it so. goes and that and we were talking about pirates of the caribbean earlier the the um the fourth one that came mm-hmm. out uh on stranger tides yeah um that one didn't do anything here it it may have hit a hundred mm. like whatever but it was nearly a billion Jeez. worldwide Jeez. um because oh johnny depp is such a big name and you know and just with the franchise itself it just i mean yeah now you're you're getting that type of stuff you know you're getting that type of stuff like in the martian where they just 
out of the blue in the movie it's it's almost takes you out of the movie <laughs> where they're like uh well we have a rocket that could help america and like well that's top secret isn't it yeah but and uh and and they're like well and, and they make them even more heroic that you know like well if uh, no one will ever know that we could have helped but we're gonna help anyway you know that yeah, type of thing yeah. now someone's gonna come on because i'm the one that made that point originally i think when we talked about it but in the book that actually happens um and i know the book doesn't matter when we're talking about movies right. um but I'm sure the studio thought this is fucking sweet that we get to write this into this movie. I, I can't help but think that that was written in because it could of be the possibility of from it being what a I understand. Movie. The guy self-published the book and then a publisher came in and scooped it up and republished it. And so it's entirely possible somebody nudged him and said, "Hey, put a Chinese rocket in if there." He, if he did, then I don't. I, I haven't gotten to that part in the book yet, but. Uh, in the movie let's if if we can agree that it is in the book and they just went ahead and adapted the book in the movie itself it's so out of place oh yeah it oh, just yeah. comes out of nowhere yeah. yeah it does you know it's just like like well we're just at a point now where we don't know what to do well, it's a huge deus ex machina because they literally they just blew up the only rocket they had to send yeah. him any supplies after he's cheering wild man yeah <laughs> <laughs> he's a dead man Stop and then all cheering. of a sudden china calls and we see jeff daniels be like yes <laughs> like what the fuck you should be jumping off a building you shouldn't even been able to take that call you had no hope but uh but yeah i mean you know we, we we talked about this before too with transformers and everything how mark Wahlberg's using a credit card from a chinese bank in that movie yeah. he's in texas and all this other time and stuff uh you know that there's a lot of stuff like now they don't care whether or not it does well here i mean if they're gonna spend 150 million dollars on a movie they hope to make you know 300 something million over uh, overseas and and if that happens then yeah you're going to keep on seeing all these now they have been movies. thinking about this for a long time because if you watch demolition man one of my favorite terrible movies ever right where the taco bell is the only restaurant left after the restaurant wars mm. in foreign countries it's pizza hut oh yeah and what's funny is when it comes on showtime or stars the captions will say Pizza Hut, even though I get oh, the yeah. American oh, version wow. that says Taco Bell. Huh. And it's very hilarious to me. But even back then, in what was that, 1990, 91? 93. 93. They were thinking about foreign audiences won't connect to Taco Bell, <laughs> but they will to Pizza There's a fucking Pizza Hut across the street from the pyramids yeah, in yeah. Egypt, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but apparently not a Taco Bell. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I want to sort of talk also about some of these things, that some of the... Uh, hallmarks of summer blockbusters i always feel like first off summer blockbusters are no different from any other holiday movie right like almost every summer blockbuster is seems like it's either set in the summer or it's super bright outside mm -hmm. but there's an, a, a a sort of a hallmark or cliche of a lot of summer blockbusters is when and you know you're watching a summer blockbuster movie when dot 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 uh, there are normal everyday people driving down the interstate and the big monster or the big robot is an Iron Man or anything like that. 
they interact with them somehow so they're just driving along oh we're having our family vacation here and then like iron man or whatever yeah. shows up in the middle of the street and picks up their car and whatever there's a bunch of those and it's always like very summer blockbustery to yeah. me when i see that it happens in lost world as well where mm -hmm. like you know it's like oh let's uh, have the dinosaur run around san diego for a little bit and i have uh you know the citizens of san diego and everything uh being chased by this uh this dinosaur and everything um and then I, I think it happens there's a, several movies like where it just happens where you're on the golden gate bridge x-man the last stand yeah, yeah 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 the golden gate bridge is always involved in these things but <laughs> i always it's it's interesting to me how movies are not only made uh just to be made and like you know we'll see uh, they're, they're made to be summer blockbusters they're made to be in that you know june or july area a lot of times they put stuff in there that just seems to fit with the mm -hmm. the months that they're coming out with well and um the landmarks i mean it's just it, even the latest independence day jeff goldblum cracks a joke about mm -hmm. how much the aliens like to blow up landmarks and yep being self-referential about it does not make it better um no. and I, I wish that we would get a summer blockbuster that didn't care if the building falling down around these people was iconic or not. Yeah. <laughs> and just, a just <laughs> gave me a visceral experience from their point of view. Um, we got to get off the landmarks and monuments, mm -hmm. man. It's really, that's that there's a reason we go after it every time we see it in a, when we're sending a movie, because it's way beyond the point of, it pulls me out of the movie now. Yeah. Well, yeah. And even in Godzilla, the 1998 Godzilla movie, they're like, they're like nowhere near the Brooklyn Bridge. Yeah. And they're like, well, we got to take the Brooklyn Bridge <laughs> because uh, because it's iconic. Right. You know, like they could be like completely on the west side of Manhattan. Like they could be in Harlem and they'd be like, let's go to the Brooklyn yeah, Bridge. We, need to, we definitely need to get by that. The yeah. building. So we could do a couple of questions. OK. Yes. Question. Question. I got something to say. I am listening. Okay, so we got a, uh, a lot of good questions from Twitter uh, when Jeremy tweeted out. Here's the first one that comes from Twitter. What are movie quotes that you use in day-to-day -day life? And I think we all talk in movie quotes a lot. Mm -hmm. So what are you guys' picks? Well, I told the one last time about how how often I say, welcome home, you deserve medals when yeah. my wife comes <laughs> home from work. But I also do that satan saddam i love you yeah <laughs> yeah which of course my wife's never seen that movie uh those come out of my mouth probably daily yeah. um but uh i'll think of some more while you guys go well mine is usually anytime we're, we're not complete with something or we're on a road trip or something like that and we're not quite there yet uh but we've like crossed into the next state or, or that kind of thing you know my wife or my family will be like oh yay we're in tennessee or we're in kentucky or something like that and I'll always use the quote from Pulp Fiction, like, let's not start sucking each other's dicks just yet. <laughs> <laughs> and my wife hates that. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Speaking yeah, of wives, I, uh, in The Muppets Take Manhattan, when Kermit goes up to the top of the Empire State Building and yells his independence and you're not going to get me get the best of me new york i'm staying he goes the frog is staying and like, <laughs> his voice cracks and my wife and i do that one all the time it started a few years ago when we were going by the wine store or something 
And I was driving and I said, are you coming in? She's like, I'm staying. I said, are you sure? She said, the frog is staying. (laughs) And so now in place of I'm staying or I'm not going, we'll use that quote constantly. (laughs) Nice. Um, It it probably goes to to show how disgruntled of a movie theater worker I was um, and how many others were. Uh, that we would quote Shawshank Redemption and Glengarry Glen Ross quotes a lot of times. Um, Shawshank Redemption, my my biggest one is "fuck this place, fuck it." Um, it was, uh, just you know, just saying it out. You know, and then I worked at a theater where it seemed like uh, the, the toilets would overflow like every five seconds. You'd get it fixed, and then somebody would go in there like, oh, yeah, the toilet's overflowing in there, man. You were probably the one that caused it, didn't you? <laughs> you know, like, you go up and, you know, you just find a quiet space somewhere and just, fuck this place! Fuck it! <laughs> and it was like um, a point where in, in Glengarry Glen Ross, me and a friend used to just quote that all the time, like, when we were just, like, talking about stuff that we didn't like about the movie theater and everything you know it's like it's a bunch of fucking nonsense treat people like that you know and all that you know we're just, like, we just keep on saying this bunch of fucking nonsense this bunch of fucking nonsense <laughs> um but uh those are the the ones that i've used the most probably my f- my friend josh used to quote like whenever we were getting ready to go for a meal he'd be like will you go to lunch yeah. will you go to lunch <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> the other thing that uh when chris and i were building out the studio for because we had just on Jeremy's recommendation, we just watched Locke. We've been quoting Locke quotes oh, wow. the whole way through. It's just like yeah. traffic is fine. Yeah. It's a, it's a, his accent's so awesome it, in that. It's movie. a stop and go. It's a stop and go. <laughs> <laughs> I always went to my wife the other day, and I was like, uh, I was asking her to do something, and I said, I wouldn't ask you to do this, and that's unless you were solid, because you are. You are. <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie so much. But it has so much to do with like just stuff that everyday work stuff. Like I wish I had that like when I was working at movie theaters. This is like a lot of the stuff that happens on lock, you know. I could quote that all day. Yeah. Okay, so we'll do one more uh lightning round uh question. What is your favorite or best movie to put on in the background? Mm. Well, right now it's The Martian. <laughs> and the last time I mentioned this on a podcast, somebody came on and said, "Jesus Christ, Jeremy, The Martian." And I was just like, "What? It's good. It's solid." I actually got out of the car yesterday after running a bunch of errands and said to myself, "I hope The Martian's on." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it usually is. It, it usually is um Right now, that's my jam, and I think I've mentioned a bunch of other ones in the past. Dances with Wolves, The Untouchables, Field of Dreams, Hunt for Red October. Those are all movies that I can't pass up if I'm flipping channels, mm-hmm. and they're all I've seen them so many times, they're the perfect kind of movie to put on in the background while I'm editing or something, so every few minutes I can turn away and be entertained for a minute, and, go, and I, as I know them back and backwards and forwards, I don't have to watch the whole thing. Um, but right now, it's The Martian for sure. I'm kind yeah, of obsessed. That's a good one. I think that uh, I have put on Dirty Rotten Scoundrels in the background more than any movie that I've ever done. Mm. It's so easy. It's like I've talked about this before uh, when we're talking about the year. And it's an hour and a half. It's Steve Martin, Michael Caine, amazing. Uh, it's got a you know great story and all that. But it's also just one of those movies that you can ignore for, you know, 
20 to 30 minutes if you're mm -hmm. doing some work and it's 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 perfectly uh, inoffensive in the background but then you if you ever look up sometimes you got to sit there and watch the whole movie but i don't <laughs> think i have ever watched any other movies more than dirty rotten scoundrels nice yeah mine is uh oh brother where art thou oh uh, yeah that's a good choice because you've got you know all the music in the background you've got you know, a pretty straightforward uh, story and you can pick that up anytime. And used to be uh, when I was in college, I would throw that on the DVD before I went to sleep. And, and that like kind of became my nightly routine for a while. So I've memorized everything with it. And uh, it's a good movie to have in the background. Definitely. Awesome. Good questions. Well, and you can keep on going to SoundCloud and stuff like that and uh, giving us uh, comments there and everything. Uh, but that's going to be the syncast for this week. This is Chris Atkins and Jeremy Scott and Barrett Share. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com. Temple of the Doom. <laughs> Temple of the Dog. Um, <clears throat> I'm going hungry. <laughs> um, uh, it, it's for me. It's just perfect. I don't think I've popped it in. Popped that movie. Any more movies? Pop. Yeah, whatever. I haven't popped more than that in in any movie. Whatever. Fuck. <laughs> You're popping a lot there. I'm fucking out. Popping and popping and popping, locking. Popping and locking. Popping and locking. That's the longest one ever. Welcome back, boys. You deserve medals. Go to lunch. Will you go to lunch? The frog is staying! <laughs>